And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. All right, I have one more announcement before I go into the episode. I know these can be super annoying, but this is not a paid advertisement. This is actually about one of my projects. I made a feature film called Fractals, and guess what? It is now available for streaming. Just visit my website, ericnorcross.com. Look for the movie Fractals, and there will be a list of platforms where you can stream it. Thanks. Yeah, can you? Okay, here I am. Yeah. Okay, yes, I can hear you. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it's it's very exciting because this is the last interview I'm doing for season two. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, uh, Congratulations. Yeah, it's going to be 89 episode once we wrap in May. So. Wow! Wow, that's yeah. awesome. It's pretty nuts. Well, it's so wonderful to meet you. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. I uh, I like to interview other podcasters and other creatives and uh, see what makes them tick. I, th- I think a lot of people are in it for similar reasons, but also different reasons. And uh, that's one of my main interests is finding, finding that out. So Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I like your podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. There's a nice academic vibe to it. I feel like you put a lot of research into those scripts. It does. I would say each episode takes me at least 40 hours. And that's and that's if I've already done most of the research and I'm just kind of like going back and pulling it all together. So it, it takes a lot of like a crazy amount of time, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, um, can... At some point, I'd like to talk about your workflow, but I, w- I think we should start with uh, who are you? Where, where do you come from? How'd you get into doing this? Uh, can you talk about yourself a little bit? <laughs> sure, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, obviously, I'm I'm Kelly Chase. I'm the host of the UFO Rabbit Hole podcast. I am in no way specially qualified to do any of this. Um, <laughs> I'm just some chick on the internet. Uh, I'm a marketer by day. Um, I've always had like a deep interest in things related to UFOs, but I only really got into the UFO topic specifically in like the last year, really. Um, It happened very suddenly for me and kind of completely took over my life in a way that almost nothing else ever has. But uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy journey for me. And the podcast was really just sort of the manifestation of that, where I had so much to say about it and 
you know, normally if I want to sit and talk to somebody about UFOs for an hour, I have to like take a hostage. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is a is a, a lower stakes option. <laughs> well, I mean, so with the UFO topic, uh, how, how long have you been interested in that? How far back does that go? Really, just like the last year, I it was not even quite a year yet. Um, I was going on vacation and I had sort of heard these rumblings about some things coming out of the Pentagon and some declassified videos that they were actually copying to and saying like, yes, this is real. And, you know, it, the report that was going to go to Congress um, in June of last year. And I really thought, well, I'm going on vacation for a week. So that should be plenty of time for me to get to the bottom of this. And I will figure out what's going on. And <laughs> which is so funny to me now um because the more i dug the more the more confused i've gotten I, I feel like i'm further and further away from the answer and yet i'm just like completely hooked yeah that's kind of like how it seems to go i uh, i was into it for a long time when i was when I, when I was a kid when unsolved mysteries was was on air uh and then as i became an adult i disconnected from it for a long time and then in the mid-2000s, I was on the roof of 12 Warren Street in Lower Manhattan, and I saw my first, and it blew me away. It was, it was one of those ones that Hynek says is super easy to spot if you have an eye for it, and it's just like a little light that stops, stops, you know, and then it just zips off, and, and you can tell that it's moving many miles per hour across great distances because it's super high up, and it's just like... After that, I, I think I became more open to it as an adult. And uh, I had to tell you, ever since I introduced the topic on this podcast, shit got weird. Oh, I really? I don't know if that, that's applicable to, applicable to you, but like, I, I, avoided, I avoided it for a while. And then in December or maybe January, I just did this mass emailing of all these different personalities, Colin Kelleher, Avi Loeb. Um, I forget who else, but there, there were a bunch of them and most of them got back to me and, and I booked all of them within an hour. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to talk about this. And after I scheduled all those zoom meetings, it was evening and I went for a walk and I tell you, there was the strangest shit in the sky. Wow. Uh, yeah. It was just like all these strange lights just and and even even though the same one I saw from Twelve Warren Street moving in the same pattern, uh, wow. and it, it was just like I think I was supposed to talk about it. Like I don't want it to be the whole subject of the podcast, but that was weird because usually I'm dragging my heels getting people to come on board mm -hmm. and just talk to me. Uh, and but to have all of them back to back just be like, yeah, let's do it right now, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I totally get that. I feel like when you start down, whether it's UFOs or even, you know, so many of the sort of related topics to UFOs, I think a lot of people experience um, synchronicities that just kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, I certainly have. Um, I feel, in interestingly, I this had not been on my radar at all when I got into it, but for the months leading up to it, I kept saying to people, I was like, something's about to change in my life. I don't know what it is, but something's coming and I'll know it when I see it. And I really felt like, you know, I've really been on kind of this track with my career and all of that for years. And I just felt like something was coming and it, it sure did. So 
Uh, Although it's interesting, I feel like I I had this weird feeling at the beginning that if I like really dove into this topic, that I'd start having more experiences like that. And I know that so many people do have that experience. I haven't. It's been just like crickets on the weird experiences front for me, which has been a little bit frustrating. But, you know, I uh, I just try to look at it as it really helps me maintain my objectivity. Hmm. Well, I think that's what makes your podcast um, stand out to me is there is an objectivity to it um, that I don't really sense in some of the others. I, I am subscribed to more paranormal podcasts than I think any anybody else, and uh, the the biggest problem with that is is they're not research or objective. Mm. And uh, anyway, that's that's one of the reasons I reached out to you because uh, that's what stood out to me. But I think given time. And if you if you segue more into an interview based format, you'll start you'll start having those experiences because there's this weird thing that Colin Kelleher talked about. He's the guy from the NIDS era Skinwalker investigations. Mm-hmm. Um, the hitchhiker effect yeah. is once you start talking to people who have had those experiences, there's this weird hitchhiker effect, the way the paranormal works, where you, you'll suddenly start, maybe you'll have them in dream form, or if you're really attentive to paying attention to the sky, you'll start seeing some strange things, for sure. Yeah. What's interesting, I'm, like, I have, so I have this big window in my bedroom right next to my bed, and I'm looking out over um, like a city skyline, basically, um, and I'm, th- there's two airports that have kind of their incoming flight path, like right outside my window, plus a couple major hospital systems. So I, there's a lot of activity in the sky out, and I'm constantly looking, like constantly. I almost wonder if there's too much activity outside of my window for me to even identify something that would be crazy or anomalous. Uh, um, but I'm always looking. <laughs> I'm so, always on the well, that's a great way to sort of train your eye. Like, because mm-hmm. cause being in New York, I look out over New York Harbor and, you know, we've got traffic going into LaGuardia, JFK and Newark simultaneously. Plus, there's this small rink-a-dink airport where all the news helicopters hole up. And so they're always coming over our neighborhood. And I still saw weird shit in the sky. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's. I don't think it matters at this point. Um, so one of the most interesting UFO sightings was over an airport in Chicago. Oh I don't yeah. Know if you ever heard that audio, you probably heard that audio. Oh right? yeah, yeah, that's a cool yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, I love that one. So. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I mean. Hi, Kitty. Hey, Spike. He always <laughs> knows when I'm on the podcast. My cat's in cat jail because she'll like full on get up here and start meowing and telling everybody everything. I love cats. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got eight and I can't keep them in jail because it's a one bedroom apartment. Oh, eight. Oh, my goodness. Yep. It's a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, buddy. <laughs> what a cutie. Yeah, we named him after the vampire from Buffy. Spike. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so so we're let's talk about your workflow mm-hmm. where does an episode start how do you know what, what at what point do you decide to commit to us to a topic so that's a great question <laughs> so when i started 
I started back in November. I spent like two months kind of getting myself ready. My real goal with what I wanted to do with the podcast is that there's a bunch of people out there who are, you know, interviewing, you know, all the, all the big names and who are like really into like what's happening right now. And I think that they're doing great and amazing work. And I didn't just want to do another UFO podcast that I didn't, if I didn't feel like it was additive, you know, there's already people who are doing so much like amazing work. And I just, you know, I wanted mine to add something to the conversation. And what I really saw, so I'm like a brand and marketing director and, uh, you know, so the thing that I think about all day long is how do I introduce a new idea to someone, whether it be a product or a UFO, you know, how do you break through the noise? How do you create a message that people want to hear and that reaches them where they are, you know, at the place that they are with something that matters to them personally. And, and so that's like just the heart of my work all the time. And so I kind of took that same framework and applied it to UFOs and was like, okay, so if somebody was new to this topic and they wanted to understand what was going on, you know, how would I lay it out for them? Because it's a, it's a crazy, sprawling, insane topic that just covers everything. And, and, and I wanted to try to find a way to break that down into more manageable pieces. And so I've, sort of had the first, it was going to be 10 episodes, but I'm already 10 episodes in. I think it'll probably be more like 30 by the time I get through everything I want to get through just because it it keeps kind of expanding. And that's just for the first season of sort of like, here's UFOs 101, you know, here's everything you need to know to sort of like absorb the topic and to be, to understand where it is right now. Um, And so that's really where I start. And it's really just been, it's been a really challenging it's been a really challenging content project, you know, in, in terms of just figuring out how do you break this down? How do you organize it? How do you make it interesting? Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's been a, a really involved project. One of the biggest I've ever tackled, but I'm just, I'm having a blast. How far in advance are you staggering this? You know, you, you're up to 30 according to your plan now, mm-hmm. right? So are those already scripted or are they like bullet points yet to be scripted? <laughs> yeah, they're bullet points. Each Most of them exist in a doc somewhere. So each episode kind of begins as just this giant doc where I just dump notes, thoughts. I have at two in the morning, things that I'm reading. And then I slowly start crafting it into it. St- it slowly starts to take shape. But yeah, I mean, once it's written, it's recorded and up within like probably two or three days. So it's very much in in real time. I wish I could move faster. But unfortunately, you know, I have a day job and all that, which is a bummer. <laughs> well, does your do people at your day job know you do this? They do. They do. I mean, I was a little hesitant to come out of the closet about this stuff in general, but I decided I've always been the kind of person that's just been myself. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be myself in this regard as well. And so, I mean, what you're seeing right now is what my coworkers see, maybe minus the colored lights during the day um, when I'm on phone calls. (laughs) So so they know. Yeah. So are you, are you spooky Kelly at work? I I think I'm definitely a little weird. Although what's interesting is, is that people have come out of the closet as well. You know, I I hear from a lot more people from work. I think there's a lot more people who are into this, who just know that you don't talk about it kind of in polite society, but now they know I'm not polite society. So. (laughs) In in a recent episode, I think it was a trifecta of um, rooted in, exploring the ancient aliens and temples and 
that whole concept. And, and you talked a little bit about Tom DeLonge's theory where the possibility of just a variety of different uh, lowercase g gods uh, kind of scuffling with each other over humanity. And uh, where, do, where do you fall with that idea? It's a tough one, you know, because it's hard to, I mean, you could definitely take the the approach of being like, well, we should look at all of these ancient myths as like some sort of historical record of some kind. And I, I think it's a little hard to, to go that far. What I like about the idea, though, is that I think that it challenges us to think about the phenomenon in a different way. You know, what would we even now really make of a non-human intelligence that had capabilities that were, you know, so far surpassing what we even understand, you know, what would that look like to us and how would we interpret that, you know, that whole interaction? What would we think was happening? Who would we think they were? What would we think was going on? Um, And so I find that that aspect of it really, I find that aspect of it really compelling. I think that what we have to understand is that what we're dealing with is something that's being interpreted and has been interpreted over thousands of years by by people who didn't know what the hell they were looking at. We still don't know what we're looking at, you know? And and uh, and so I think that when we can challenge ourselves to think about it in different ways, that it 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 kind of opens up the experience and the and you can start to grapple with it in a way that goes a little deeper than the like little green men from wherever although hey they might that might be in the mix too who knows (laughs) yeah well i mean that's honestly the preferable explanation but i don't think it's i don't think existence is simple enough for that (laughs) (laughs) i um do you do you ever think about a lot of the you know those ancient stories a, a lot of them are like religious stories at this point but do you do you think about those as just potential all oh, their misunderstood ufo events like like um there was that those sisters that saw an apparition of was it mary and then she gave she gave them like all these premonitions and whatnot i don't know if you remember that one yeah. <laughs> i forget I mean, the name of it I don't, it's, it's, it's hard to qualify it. I will say a book that I read recently that helped me grapple with it a little bit better was, um, I don't know if you've read uh, American Cosmic. Um, it's on my read... list. It's, it's on my list. It's like next on my list, literally. <laughs> it's so good. The author is absolutely brilliant. The book is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, something that she talks about, she's a, a religious studies, you know, professor, Um, very respected in her field. And something that she talks about a lot is that both that the UFO phenomenon fits these kind of religious phenomenon that we, you know, have throughout history in that people have this like really strange experience. And in the moment, most people don't really qualify it one way or another. They're not like, oh, that was God or, oh, that was a UFO or, you know, oh, that was Mary in the moment, they're mostly confused. And then there's this sort of shift that happens afterward where they get some sort of context or confirmation or some sort of something. And they start to create a story for themselves around what that thing was. And so I do think that these things are 
related to each other in terms of how we process them. I don't know that you can necessarily look at like everything in the Bible or every miracle or whatever and say like, oh, that was definitely a UFO or it was a definitely, I don't think we know what any of this is, but I do think there's a lot of evidence for humans interacting with intelligences and having these really strange experiences that we have yet to have any real good explanation for and that really don't fit within our paradigm of reality and what we think it is. Don't eat my hair. It's adorable. Right. <laughs> He's the most adorable cat of all of them. But um, yeah, did you read Skinwalkers at the Pentagon by any chance? Yes. Yeah, I did. Oh, that's so creepy. That's I where know. I'm just like, yeah, it's not. It's not from Zeta Reticuli <laughs> or no. whatever the the excuse. I think that was the original 1960s idea, Zeta Reticuli. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's. I think it is much weirder than people are probably prepared for. And I think it's terrestrial, whether maybe they came here from somewhere else, but whatever this is, number one, I, the two things I'm pretty sure of is that I don't think we're dealing with just like one set of entities. I don't think there's any one explanation that could cover all of these things. I think we're dealing with a lot of things and whatever this is, we have every reason to believe that it's terrestrial, you know, like we, it's, it's almost a part of the ecosystem. And that's kind of where I am with my understanding of it is that I feel like it's a part of the ecosystem, where it sits in that ecosystem, what purpose it serves, how it relates to humanity, you know, and on what level it exists is all up for debate. But it feels like it must be, I, I think it's uh, pretty native. If it's not native to the earth, it's been here for a very long time. I would agree with that. That's kind of where I'm gravitating towards too is they've just been here and uh, we're not the biggest people on the block, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Whoever they are and whatever they are. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I read all these stories where, or their first person accounts where people will actually have conversations with the others. Is that what you call them as well? The others? Yeah, in general, yeah. Yeah, I prefer that. Uh, and um, every time they ask who they are, what they're doing here, what they're doing with humans, so on and so forth, every answer is different. Every answer people are given are different. And uh, that's disconcerting, to say the least, because that's nefarious to me. Yeah, there's, you know, I really enjoy... Um, Jacques Vallée's work. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. not alone in that, obviously. And I think that, you know, his approach in terms of, you know, he really, I really respect that he's never made a judgment. He still doesn't know what he thinks they are. And I, I think that that's based on the evidence really appropriate, you know, and I think that the things that he talks about in terms of there being kind of a trickster element to the UFO phenomenon, like it not making sense is part of it. And, and we don't quite understand why, but it's hard to deny that just the sort of perplexing nature of the phenomenon is a, it, it's in its DNA. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And so, you know, that sort of trickster element is really interesting. And also, you know, his ideas around it being some kind of a control mechanism as sort of disconcerting as that idea is, you know, I do think that it does I, I think that the evidence fits that. Now, what that means and whether it's for good or for bad or for, you know, somewhere in between, I, I have no idea. But I think that it makes sense with what we're seeing. 
Yeah, and trickster, the trickster is one of those things that definitely goes goes back to lore. <laughs> um, it's yeah. hard to deny that. Um, that's why, like, one of the theories that I'm starting to warm to is that it's all related. The, the UFOs, trickster entities, um, you know, spiritual turbulence, those kinds of stories. Um, I just think it's all part of a reality we don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we've evolved to function in a very small part of reality. And we sort of aren't... In- aren't seeing what's also there. I think that's a re- very real idea. Absolutely. And I think, you know, some people are very like nuts and bolts about UFOs. They only want to talk about like the hard data and what's actually there. And I respect those people a lot because they're doing a lot of good to move, you know, disclosure forward now. That's just not how my mind works. That's not who I am as a person. Um, you know, and I'm very, you know, some, I'm very into the consciousness part of it, because I think that when you have something that's so confounding, that fits no model of what we believe to be true, you know, it, it, it suggests that there's something more, that there's something significant that we don't understand about ourselves and about just the, the reality that we experience. And it takes you down this whole rabbit hole of, what is the nature of reality? What is the nature of consciousness? You know, what is this, what is the nature of this persistent experience that I wake up and have every day and can't seem to break my way out of, you know, what is this thing? And like, you know, that's, that's a lot of, you know, I, I really care about what UFOs are obviously, but the stuff that keeps me up at night and the stuff that really, you know, excites me kind of leans more in that direction yeah yeah me too and i I think the play there is definitely a place though like you said there's a place for um nuts and bolts researchers for and i personally think that if like government backed nuts and bolts researching is what it takes to make it an acceptable mainstream topic then that's good enough for me (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, because prior to that whole Department of Defense briefing, you couldn't talk about it without being stigmatized. Yeah, I mean, even now, like it's I, I've just tried to get to the point where I don't care. But I mean, there are people who have come at me and just told me that I'm, you know, people that I know, like in my actual life, not just like internet trolls, you know. Um, and I don't know what to say at a certain point and you have to just kind of let it go at a certain point because, you know, at the point that I'm like, well, Congress is being briefed on it. There's legislation being written about it. You have people at all levels of government and government contractors and all of this coming out of the woodwork to say that this is happening. We have presidents, we have astronauts, we have the head of NASA. Like, I don't know what it will take for some people to recognize that this is that this is real, but I think that there, the stigma that's been built up around it, it makes it really difficult for people to engage with it meaningfully. It takes a certain level of intellectual courage, um, you know, and you can't be too afraid that people are going to think you're crazy. Cause as soon as you start talking about UFOs, there's going to be a certain amount of people who just think that you are. And, and that's, that's unfortunate. And I hope that those people come around at some point. Well, I, I think a lot of that's just fear. Yeah. Like the, nature of their reality could be changed um and you know nobody really knows what that means for anybody so 
Yeah. Uh, I, I know, like, um, some people, too, like, if they come from certain religions, like, it's an odd, like, you, it's just not a topic that's possible in a household. Uh, I, and it's not even just UFOs, it's the paranormal in general. Mm-hmm. Like, um, my mother, for example, would have precognitive dreams. Mm-hmm. But it was against her religion to acknowledge it was possible. And so she would never talk about it after a certain point. She talked about it a lot until like about 98 or 99, 1998. And then after that, she just decided, you know what? I I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it anymore. And so she wouldn't even acknowledge it. And if Mm. I ever brought it up, uh, it was just, it was bad. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I, 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 I just think it's fear. Yeah, I mean, it. I, I think absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously religion's a part of it. I think another part of it, I think it's the thing that kept me out of it for so long, is that, like, it, it, it forces you to throw out so much that you thought to be true. And it, But the, the phenomenon gives you nothing to replace it with. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, like, people go in looking for answers. Some people really think they find answers, but I feel like those people have been in some, in their own way, kind of led astray. I think that there's this like real compulsion at a certain point to feel like I'm going to find the answer. And some people just find it. Um, I don't think we have enough evidence for anybody to have found anything, you know? And I, it's, it's really not everyone is built for that kind of uncertainty. And also like, not everybody's at a place. I mean, people got bills to pay, you know, they've got to go to work. Like they've got kids to raise. They've got all kinds of things to do. And I just think not everybody's in a place where they're like ready to grapple with the nature of reality, especially when, you know, there's nothing to replace it with. It's just a whole lot of more unknowns. And, you know, that's asking a lot of people, I think, especially given all the other things they have to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, did I tell you about my Trader Joe's orb? No, uh, please do though. <laughs> so, there was, was one day uh, over the winter, over this past winter, I was meditating in the woods in in Staten Island. It doesn't get particularly cold in winters, and so I was able to go into the woods and meditate. And I decided I wanted to meditate on the alien abduction phenomenon, and whether it's real or not, whether people are actually experiencing it or not, and if they are, why, <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. Um, so for about an hour, I was in this meditation just thinking about those questions. And then I had this weird anxiety come over me. And so I, I left and I decided to go grocery shopping. And I backed into this parking lot at Trader Joe's. And over Trader Joe's, a, a, just a huge orange orb appeared. And it was there for like three minutes, almost exactly three minutes. And then it just gone. Wow. And I'm like, well, that's cool, but that's not an answer. Talk to me. Have a conversation with me. Like, <laughs> But it was weird. And then that night, I had a very vivid dream. As an adult, I don't dream. And if I do, I don't remember them. This bastard, I remember every beat of. And um, it was being given a tour around New York City, where I live, by somebody who uh, could aptly be characterized as an other but in the dream, very much human. But I recognize them as not human. And they're like, well, we, we, we can't tell you about the program, but we can tell you that they're here now and, and they're always here and they're all over the place and they're doing this. And 
they told me to look right. I look right, and a massive section of a building started moving upward oh. and then off, and so and then it vanished. And so, like, it's the, he was showing me that they'll just attach itself to architecture and blend in with architecture, which was mm. super creepy. And then, um, then, then, then there was a second section to this dream where this person explained to me that the moment you know or see it, they know or you see it, which is why you don't know anything because you can't. Mm. They will come after you. And um, that, was, that was odd because the moment they told me that, the second dream got in, the, 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 sorry, the third layer of the dream sort of became a cat and mouse chase where I was the mouse. And wow. yeah, it was super weird. And it all started with that meditation. That's crazy. I know. And I wrote it all down. It's like 10 pages of, of words somewhere in one of these thousands of notebooks that I have. But I wrote down all the dialogue, all the scenes. Like when I transitioned from the street to the subways, uh, the, ch- the cat and mouse chase took place in the subway tunnels. <laughs> it was super weird. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I I wish I... I wish I was having experiences like that. It's been really interesting for me. I started doing, um, are you familiar with the gateway tapes? No. It's, um, tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's by this guy, Robert Monroe, and he was involved in the, uh, project Stargate in the, you know, the CIA, like they released a bunch, they actually released a bunch of classified documents. You can go find them all. Um, like Vice did a whole article about it. But basically, you know, the CIA had been looking into like the remote viewing and like the psychic spy kind of thing. And that like they had developed this whole protocol for these meditations that you do to to allow you to do those things and, you know, to astral project and to, you know, all all of the above. And so these tapes exist. I'll totally send you a link. And I've been like slowly working my way through them. And I will say I did have, I have had a couple of just interesting experiences. A lot of people say they encounter entities that they, you know, see things like I haven't had that, but I have, I, it, it helped me unlock a different level of consciousness that I didn't even know was there. I will say that. And I've had some weird experiences with like really intense vibration and like, um, like feeling an energy in myself that I, it's, it's all very, it's very hard to even articulate exactly what it is. It's such like a deep and personal experience, but um, yeah, I'm just like doing the whole CIA psychic spy program and seeing, and I'm like, listen, if I don't start, if I don't see something soon, that'll help. <laughs> well, I read, I read this book, Psychic Warrior, which was one of the first books to out that program. Mm-hmm. It came out in the nineties. And then, I, I did do a master class uh, that was uh, designed to train you how to do it the way the CIA did it, or maybe still does it. Um, but for me, it, it what ha- I found most effective, and I don't know if you want to try this, but I would take and I would list off a bunch of different targets. Oh, I want to go talk to this person, or I want to see this period in time at this specific coordinates. Then I would cut it out onto a slip of paper, fold it over, and tape it shut, and then I'd assign a random number to it. And then I would put all of these folded papers into a hat, 
shake it up, take out uh, a random number. By this point, I don't know what number goes to what. And before I, an hour before I go to bed, I'll just like sear that number into my brain. I'll just repeat it over and over again. And then as I fall asleep, I'm repeating that number. And honestly, I guess seven times out of 10, I end up where the target is intended. And so nice. in the morning, what happens is I'll, I'll, I'll write everything I remember from the dream. Then I'll open up the paper. And if there's a correlation, it worked. That's amazing. I will try that. That's smart. Yeah, it's, it's super just like you're, you're messing with your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And kind of tricking yourself to dream. And, you know, I don't know if they're dreams or if there's something else or, you know, if, if, but there's certainly like as an adult who never dreamed doing this ever, ever since that meditation, I started doing this. Uh, it just kind of changed things. Now I remember all my dreams, even when I'm not trying. Hmm. It's like I've retooled my mind. So interesting. I, I've become really interested in, in intention and focus and really realizing how powerful that is and that you really can in some ways like create your own, you can sort of choose your own adventure in a way, you know, by what you choose to focus on. And it, you know, I used to think that that stuff was just like woo and crazy, but I, I don't feel that way anymore. And, you know, I think that, you know, setting those kinds of intentions is really powerful. And, and I'm also noticing how basically everything about our society is basically designed to keep you from having that kind of focus. You know, your, if your mind is going in a bunch of different places, you're always busy, but you're not really productive, you know, it's, and, and I'm, I don't know. I just find all those things very interesting, but I, the more I learn to reclaim that focus and to be intentional about what I'm trying to create with my life. Um, yeah, that, that has been very powerful for me. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard other people say that too. Intention is everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you, I want to tell you, um, real quick, the, the funniest in, dream that I had, which was also like, it was part of the whole number target, the target uh, experiment I was doing. My target was to visit another civilization somewhere. Ooh. And so I go, I go to sleep and I'm a guest in some strange city. It's a coastal city. It's very not human-like at all. It's, it's borderline futuristic, but I can't leave. The guy that my host says, well, I, and I'm summing up what he, what he said, but he was basically like, we have no idea why you would want to visit us. We're in the middle of a civil war. So you kind of have to stay inside. And so I didn't get to see anything. <laughs> and that's why I think like, I don't know if I would ever come up with that on my own. Like, that's why I think there's something to it. It's super just, that's not something I could write. That's so original and weird. <laughs> that is so funny. It's funny you say that. I, I, um, I've been having that experience lately. So I'm, you know, I saw, talk about it on the podcast. Like I saw UFO one time when I was 12, it didn't make a huge impression on me. I just like, didn't really have much else to do with, you know, to like attach it to really. Um, but going through all of this and really opening my mind up and being like, and just kind of taking in all the information. I, I have a whole new appreciation for experiencers and like what they, and it's also opened my mind up to what might be possible. Like I've been, like Bigfoot is something that I did not see myself ever getting into. That just felt like too far outside of the box. And like, <laughs> you know, surely there are trail cams 
thousands of trail cams all over this world. Like if we, if Bigfoot was real, we would have seen something, right? But I'm listening to uh, Sasquatch Chronicles. I was like, I'm going to give this a chance. I just, I'm going to listen to one random episode and just see what they have to say. And it one episode changed my mind. And it was because, because it couldn't be written. You know, it was, it was this guy talking about an experience that he had back in the seventies. He was a young man, like in his early twenties or something like that. And it, the story wasn't that elaborate. It was literally that like he and some friends were in the woods. They saw Bigfoot. He walked by, they all freaked out and ran away. Like that's the story. But he was so part of it was that he was so emotional about it, that he hadn't talked about it in decades, that he never shared it with people. And it was like really traumatizing for him. And the host, Wes, asked him, as he asks most of his guests, he was like, if you could sum up this experience in one word, what word would you use? And the guy said, failure. And it was like a really perplexing answer. And Wes was like, what do you mean by that? And and he talked for a while and you could tell he was really emotional. And, and But basically what it all came around to was that when they were all out in the woods and they saw this thing, like some of them threw up, some of them messed their pants all up, you know, <laughs> like they, it, the fear was, and they were literally like clawing past each other to like try to get away from this thing. And he said that, you know, you're supposed to be able to trust your friends. But in that moment, we all would have thrown each other under the bus to get away from this thing. You know, there was no honor among us in that moment, you know. And so and he felt such deep shame about that and felt like he couldn't even really continue the relationships with those other men because now they knew this thing about each other. And, you know, he's it would haunt him. And he talked about like, you know, what if my wife had been there because he didn't really feel like he would have behaved any differently. And it was like this shame that he carried with him or he had had such a traumatic fear and responded to it in that way and had never really been able to process it or share it with anyone. And like, I don't know what happened to them out there, but I just thought that was such a surprising and interesting and personal answer that I, I, that didn't sound like somebody who was making up a story to tell on a podcast, you know? Yeah. Well, that goes into sort of a recurring I don't know what it would be. It was just it's it's a recurring strangeness with all of this where feelings tend to be inappropriate and unnatural to an alarming extent. So uh, I remember Terry Lovelace talking about how, you know, this giant stadium-sized triangles coming down over them and they just like, "Well, I'm tired. Let's go to bed." That's a wholly <laughs> inappropriate feeling. And and I think it's it's a a really just Whatever the phenomenon is, it affects how you feel and what you would naturally instinctively do. I mean, I mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many policemen or firefighters, you know, they're willing to go into a, a burning building, risk their lives to save someone. So why would would that why wouldn't that be the case if they encounter a creature in the woods? Well, maybe because it's not a creature uh, like you know it. It's a creature that can affect what you would naturally do. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I definitely see that connection. And I think, you know, if we're talking about something that can affect what how we perceive things and what we see, you know, and how we feel and all of the above, which seems very possible, 
you know, even all the clues that we have may all be nonsense. Like it all just might be like a bunch of made up stuff. That's been like a placeholder for what was actually there, what we actually, we and we would have no way of knowing this. And that's, that's a little disconcerting. <laughs> well, that's, that's why I think like, I think the trickster element is definitely fucking with us in that regard. And I think a lot of the things we're focusing on may not, might not be the things we're supposed to be focusing on. And and the reason I, I think that is actually because aside from everybody's answer being completely different whenever somebody has a chance to ask them who they are, there was this monk that I'd heard about. I forget where I heard about this, but he, he went, it, it was a story of this monk who went into this deep meditation where he could, his consciousness could go into all these other dimensions and realms and what, or whatnot. And whenever he did it, flying saucers would, would appear outside of his temple. Uh, I wish I could cite it. I'm sorry I can't. I just listen to too many of these shows to to be able to keep track of where I hear these stories. But um, one of the there was a journalist who was with him at one point and was like, "Oh my God, a flying saucer just appeared. We have to document this." And the monk, still in the zone, still with his eyes closed, said. Don't bother. They're just distractions to keep you from going further. Mm. Just close your eyes and focus. And I thought that was interesting. So he 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 looked at these things as just guarding a doorway that the others don't want us to enter. And I think that that's fascinating. That is fascinating. I, I and I I feel that's like that's sort of where I'm in many ways ending up with it as well you know i a big suspicion a big suspicion that i have is that a lot of the secrecy behind the phenomenon at like the governmental level you know i think some people feel like oh we're keeping it secret because we have all this back engineered technology and like who knows maybe we do maybe we don't i don't really have a strong opinion on that one way or another but i think it's probably being kept secret because i bet that we know i bet we don't know that much about it i bet that they have all kinds of like evidence like weird things that have happened but in terms of like do i think that we're like sending people to meet the galactic federation on the back of the moon or whatever no i think that they probably don't have any idea what's going on like that that's my personal guess is that the government is exactly as confused as we are but they they may have more data points but i don't think that they're any closer to an answer is is my guess yeah well, I mean, from what I know about the government, there's, you know, it's just too compl complicated of a system for us to really push the resources necessary to be able to understand it. I'm open to the idea that maybe they found a, th a thing here or there, you know, uh, but I don't know, like I've, ha I've had government officials at my dinner table. I've known people from intelligence, uh, one they can't keep their mouth shut. And I've said it on this podcast again and again and again. <laughs> they can't keep their mouth shut. No one can. Yeah. And um, if if they really knew anything, we would know about it. It wouldn't just be a conspiracy theory about Roswell. We would actually know about it. Uh, the other thing, too, is – and I just said this to somebody I interviewed the other day um, who's – I think your episodes are actually going to go up back to back. But um, – I said the government is basically the DMV, but with a whole lot more power. So like if you think about what it's like to deal with the DMV, except they are also financing the manufacturing of missiles. Right. Do you really think that they can keep a secret? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like right now, I mean, I'm sure like UFO Twitter is tearing itself apart. Like 
it's it's civil war on UFO Twitter right now over like a few little details coming out of the Pentagon about like whether some guy got fired or did not get fired. And I'm just like, I'm like, it probably actually does take six months to fire somebody in the Pentagon. I actually believe that. You know what yeah. I mean? like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's well, a trillion the- dollar organization that's run by bureaucrats. It's not efficient. Yeah. That's that's the other thing too is like no one knows how government works. Like a lot of people in government don't know how government works. Yeah. Uh and it's just like yeah, I, I could see it taking 6 months because especially with certain positions in defense you want to make sure that whatever job has is being vacated it'll be filled. Otherwise you put the country at risk of uh failing in the next war. Yeah. Well, and they don't air out their dirty laundry and they're not going to, you know, I, I, like I said, I really respect the people who are chasing down that information and filing 10 million freedom of information, you know, requests and all of that. But like, it could not be me because I'm just like, wake me up in 10 years when you guys figure out what actually happened. But (laughs) I don't have Yeah. I remember like listening to one of Whitley Strieber's podcasts, which I I only do it when I'm desperate for content because I find this podcast to be tough, but um, he, he actually interviewed somebody who explained how to do a FOIA request and what kind of terms to put in there and what to ask for and how to be specific. And um, I, I just listening to it, I'm like, well, I can see why this is useful, but most of UFO Twitter isn't going to do any of this. It's too, yeah. it's too much work, I feel like. Right. I also think... I, listen, I don't want to tear down it. I think those people are doing very important work. And I feel like the more I say that, the more it sounds like I don't mean that. But I do I do mean it's it. Like, it can come back to me. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. But I, to me, if this phenomenon really has been around for as long as we think that it has, and if it's like it, I just don't feel the need to go through the government for any kind of confirmation of this. And I don't expect it really to come from them. If it, it does, it's great. And I do think that that's important work because I think that there's a lot of people most people aren't going to accept it until it comes through those more kind of like officially sanctioned channels, you know, but um, I, to me, I don't really care what the Pentagon thinks about it. I don't think that, I don't, I don't think that they have any more special access to it than any of us have, to be honest. And, you know, I, I don't know. The government bores me. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I, uh, did I, did I tell you I once snuck I, – I, I did a day shoot in Washington, D.C. for a political satire film I was making. This was in the early – in the mid-2000s. And I once snuck into the Rayburn office building where congressmen and senators have their offices there. And I, I went into the, the chamber of the Senate Armed Services Committee, and I just filmed the scene there. It was an empty, okay. empty room. It was, you know, you can see them on C-SPAN all the time. And I just feel like that's a very secure building. <laughs> right. You know, and it's probably one of the most secure buildings in that city. And if I can walk in there and just make an independent film, I don't know. I just feel like they're not hiding anything. Yeah. Because if they were, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, (laughs) 
it's it, it, it'll be interesting to see what comes of all of this. I it does feel like there's some movement and momentum in terms of us getting some kind of information maybe at some point. But um, yeah, I I'm not it, to be honest, I feel like a lot of the reason they haven't told us is because it's embarrassing. You know, I think it's really embarrassing for the United States military and for our intelligence apparatus to say, you know, that our airspace has been violated really with impunity for as long as we can as long as we have records and this probably and, and that we have no idea that we have no defense against it we don't know what it is we don't know where it's coming from and there's no possible thing that we could do if they decided they wanted to do something bad to us so i just don't feel like that's a message that they want to give and i tend to think that that's the source of the secrecy more than like oh we've got alien bodies or we've got crashes and maybe they have some of those things as well but i i, I feel like you could have alien alien, whatever you want to call them, you know, bodies and crashes and still have no idea what the heck is going on or why they're here or what they're doing or what they want. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's the most grounded uh, way to think about it, I think. I try. Because it, it also leaves you open to the idea that they found a few things along the way, even if they don't know what it is or what to do with it. Uh, and because there there are there are a few interesting stories where like you can kind of see the legal system tying in with the conspiracy theories. So I remember there was this um, again I don't I don't remember which podcast I heard this on, but uh, there was like a a mortician who found he was working in this place and in the basement of the morgue there was um this kind of refrigerated uh, i guess body holder <laughs> or something <laughs> it's a morgue uh that they weren't allowed to open and it had like a note on it saying that like according to this judge from this particular from a particular district um nobody was allowed to open it it's being held under quarantine per whatever and he just one night he he him and a friend decided to open it and it was a gray alien with its a crotch operated on and its crotch was just like cut out in a big square and removed oh. and um they closed it right up and and didn't talk about it and but it the the, the weirdness of that though is it was in i think Colorado and just a mortician talking about this court that's refusing to let this this thing leave the building for some reason. Wow. And it's been there for years. He said it was there for over a decade or something like that. Wow. Um, that that kind of weirdness, I, I can't help but think like, like who brings the courts into the Roswell incident, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's been interesting. The The episode that I'm working on right now, which in my typical fashion started as one episode, and we'll probably be three, um, <laughs> is, you know, kind of dealing with all of the kind of UFO lore around, you know, World War II and the Nazis and Antarctica and all of that, which is like some of my favorite UFO lore. But like, the more I dive into it, it's like there's the UFO lore version, you know, where, you know, the Nazis found some secret knowledge and they found out that Atlantis was Antarctica and they went down there and set up bases and like all of this, you know, there's there's a lot of 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 lore in, in that regard. Um, but what's really interesting is that what you can't deny is that 
is that even in the midst of World War II, with everything else going on, the United States and Germany and a bunch of other people were really interested in what was going on at the polls. And, you know, from one regard, it's it's just an interesting time period to think about that, like right before that was the first time anybody even flew over the poles up until then. You know, it had been sort of like people tried a few times to fly over the North Pole before someone did it successfully. And and when they did that, suddenly it opened up a whole other issue that we had to deal with, because now instead of just like our, you know, we're in the middle of you know, we've got oceans on both sides, we're pretty well protected. But now suddenly somebody can come over the poles at us. And so there's a there's a security issue that wasn't there before. And so that interest really could be as simple as as that, as just like, we don't want people coming up over the polls. But at the same time, just the amount of resources and, and interest that went into that at that time period. And then there's the, the other layer of it, which is that, did we, did we think that they found something down there? Like, did they make us think that we, that they found something down there? Or did, you know, like, I think that there's this like weird situations where it's like, I think there's a lot of room for interpretation and the possibility of our government spending, you know, millions of dollars and launching these big campaigns down to Antarctica based on something that turned out to be like, maybe potentially completely false. is like very objectively funny to me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways to look at those. So that's really what I'm kind of like working through right now is figuring out how to tell that story on those different levels. Like here's the lore and here's what it could mean, or it could mean this, or it could mean this, you know, and it's all really fun. Thank you. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. All right. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.